Hi, this is Jim Brangenberg, the host of the I Work For Him radio show. Thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast, where we discuss our workplace as our mission field. The live version of our show can be heard each weekday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern on AM 570 and 910 WTBN, locally in the Tampa Bay area, and worldwide on the web at letstalkfaith.com or iHeartRadio. Our website, iWorkForHim.com, has great resources on how you can learn about how your workplace can be your mission field. And also check out the sponsors that bring you the radio show each and every day. And while you're there on I Work For Him, click on the I Work For Him Nation flag and prayerfully consider joining the I Work For Him Nation. Join thousands around the globe praying for their coworkers and employees by name each and every day. That's IWorkForHim.com. I Work, the number four, Him.com. Remember, your workplace is your mission field, and in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Thanks again for listening. I hope this broadcast will make an impact on your life so that you'll never look at your workplace the same again. Let's get to today's show. You've tuned into the fastest one hour in Christian talk radio. Thanks for tuning in to I Work For Him today. As you're listening to us on many different ways, iTunes is one of those ways you can listen to a rebroadcast. Maybe you're on listening on Red, Red Nation Rising. Maybe you're listening live on the radio on AM 570 or 910. Today we've got the privilege of broadcasting out of the Salem Studios in Orlando as we have a very special guest in the studio. But I'll just wait a minute to introduce our guest. Here's the challenge. Are you looking at your workplace like your mission field? As we head into the weekend, did you take any opportunities this week to focus on the people that God has surrounded you with? Are you looking at them the way God looks at them? Have you taken the I Work For Him Nation Challenge? Start praying for your coworkers and employees by name each and every day. Go out to iWorkForHim.com, click on the I Work For Him Nation flag, and join the nation. It's not a club. This is a nation of people that are praying for those people that we work alongside each and every day. You know, we've got really fantastic guests in the studio today. Case Thorpe. Now, Case Thorpe has been a longtime friend of I Work For Him, and he's part of so many different things, I hardly even know how to introduce him. But his latest and greatest, the biggest thing, we're connected on the Made to Flourish movement, which on I Work For Him, we've talked about many times, Made to Flourish. But today, he's representing the collaborative. Case Thorpe, welcome back to I Work For Him. Thanks, Jim. Great to be here. So why don't you take some time to tell us about the collaborative and your very special guest in studio with us today. Mm -hmm. Well, the collaborative is an effort here in Orlando where we are trying to help people connect the dots between their faith and their work, uh, particularly for, as we say, cultural and economic renewal, that the work that we do day in and day out, whether it's work that we get paid for or work we do to run our households or to run our lives, is essential in how we live as a people. And so what does work look like at the hospital, at the bank, on the front line, in the hotel room that enables us to be God's people and to see us build his kingdom wherever we are? Now, last night you hosted an event at mm. First uh, First Presbyterian Church in Orlando, fpco.org, I think I remember there the website. Go. And you had Andy Crouch in there. Mm -hmm. And somehow, because of the collaborative, you've arranged for Andy Crouch to join us right here in studio today. Why don't you do that? You, you took 27 minutes last night to introduce Andy <laughs> with all of his accolades. Now, Andy, I didn't ask you this before, <laughs> before, but is it okay if we do the intro the way you said you'd like to be introed in the book? Uh, bring it on. <laughs> so you tell all the good things. Okay, Andy is a husband of a Catherine, and she is a professor at Swarthmore College. And I think that's just so cool that she's a physicist, right? Oh, that's right. Two children. Uh, but Andy's history is, uh, for many years, uh, InterVarsity 
campus chaplain at Harvard University. And Some he, people have heard of Harvard before. I've heard of that. Uh, he has degrees in uh, undergraduate from Cornell and a master's in theology from Boston U. So he's a smarty pants. He knows his stuff. Uh, most of his career has been as a journalist in various forms and fashion. And uh, he was the executive editor for five years of his 12 at Christianity Today and has a number of great books out there. That's why we were excited because he is getting a lot of the great ideas on faith and work out to the masses. Now, Andy, as uh, welcome to I Work For Him, Andy Crouch. So glad to be here. Thank now, you. Andy's also screwed up a ton. He's made all <laughs> kinds of mistakes. He's got a litany of things that he's done, made wrong decisions about in his life. And he wrote about it in his latest book, Strong and Weak. He said, you know, when people introduce people, they only ever tell the good stuff. Nobody ever tells the bad stuff. But he didn't write any bad stuff in the book for me to highlight today. But I thought I would just introduce you the way you wanted to be introduced. Welcome to I Work For Him. Absolutely. Well, so several girlfriends broke up with me before one girl decided to marry me, so that would be one <laughs> litany of failure. Now, he's the recent executive editor with Christianity Today, and now with the John Templeton Foundation, he's an author, he's a cultural guru, and you can find out lots about him online at andy-crouch.com, and he's brought to us by the collaborative. Case Thorpe, you wanted to make sure you said one more thing about Andy Crouch. Well, Andy has moved into a new area of vulnerability where he has left a very successful run to now be a communication strategist with the John Templeton Foundation, and it's a new field of work, but it's very much in alignment with his passions. But, you know, every time you change jobs, it's risky. It is risky. But Andy, you were sharing off the air that that you now actually are going to work in the same town you live. Yes, right. I've been commuting from Philadelphia to Chicago for the last 12 years, so now I'm commuting meeting 20 minutes up the road to the John Templeton Foundation. Yeah, when I tell people I grew up in Minneapolis, they think, oh my gosh, it's so cold. I said, no. Chicago. Chicago. In the middle of winter is the coldest city. There's nothing like Chicago in the winter. Walking down the streets just a couple blocks off the lake, it is the most brutal cold and I've never you, been to Siberia or Fairbanks, but it, it can't be worse. It feels like your face is peeling off. It really does. All right. So here's the question I always I ask all my guests. I always try to dig deep into the spiritual walk. When you look at 2017, what would you like to see the Lord mold in you? What would you like to see the Lord develop in you that needs developing? Wow. I think I would say creativity. Uh, my, I think all of us in a way have to be asking what, what could I do differently and better than I'm doing today? <laughs> and one of the real risks of, I've had, I've worked for 12 years in journalism. I've had some success in that work, but one of the risks of actually, uh, figuring out how to do something well is you start just doing it the same way over and over rather than really working to develop, uh, and extend what you do. So I'm hoping, and this is part of why I changed jobs, actually, I think, uh, when you have the chance to take on a new challenge, it's really worth doing because you discover things about yourself you'd never learn any other way and you discover things you might be able to do that you have never tried so that will be you know part of having a new job is actually trying to figure that out and be creative in the midst of lots of challenges and opportunities well yeah and the john templeton foundation's not a christian foundation well, that's right. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's a foundation that funds work primarily, we have a bunch of things we do, but primarily in science and religion and how the two connect and how both scientists need to acknowledge that there's probably more religious reality out there, like a, a divine reality, a created reality, and people who, of faith, uh, of all faiths, need to realize science actually can tell us something about God and God's world. Um, but yeah, so we have this very broad mandate. It's not just a narrowly Christian enterprise, and I actually love that because I think... 
as a Christian, I want to be part of something that is good for everybody on the planet, whether or not they share my faith. And that's very much what uh, the Templeton Foundation is about. When you look at this new challenge, I mean, this is a new challenge, like a couple of weeks kind of a challenge. That's Have right. you even really started yet or did you take a vacation after uh, you quit? <laughs> no, I had my little, I had a little break and then I plunged right in at the beginning of February, 2017. Well, at the beginning of February, that, you know, that's like just last week. That, so that is that, a week ago. <laughs> <laughs> and then you started traveling to Orlando because yeah. being in Philadelphia in the middle of a snowstorm, you said it was better to be here. I get that. <laughs> so talk to me about how your intentionality with your marriage, you traveled for 12 years straight. Yeah. How did you keep your marriage fresh? And how did you keep your relationship with your three three kids, you said, right? Two kids. Two kids, two excuse kids. me. Two kids. How did you keep that fresh when you're traveling all the time? Boy, it's a great question. So, yeah, my, my work has involved travel for a long time. So one thing is uh, having limits on it and having everybody in the family know that there are limits so we don't feel like there's just this unlimited uh, possibility that dad will be away. Now, our limit was a lot. It was 100. Uh, when the kids were little, it was 100 bedtimes a year. So that was the max. Um, and that is a lot of time. Mm. Um, but there was something about having decided together, this is what we can all kind of stand in a way, uh, both for my wife and I as a married couple and then for the kids, that everybody knew those other nights I really was going to be there. Uh, now, now we count dinner times. The kids are older and dinner is kind of the moment when our family comes together. Bedtime's less critical for them. Um, and then the other thing is my wife gets a vote and a veto in every single decision about where to go and any kind of overnight trip. Uh, it gets run by her and all she has to do, honestly, at this point is raise an eyebrow. I'm like, no, you're right. I shouldn't do it. <laughs> so you, your youngest is 16 now. Does yeah. your wife get to travel with you whenever he travels? Yeah, a little more. Catherine has her own work that's very demanding. Oh. She's uh, an experimental physicist, so she studies the building blocks of nature uh, and builds apparatus that actually study that and teaches college students how to do that. Uh, so while she doesn't have to travel, her job actually in some ways is more demanding than any job I've ever had. Uh, so we we pick a few things a year where we're able to do it together, and um, and then the other times, unfortunately, often she has to be both at work and somehow keeping our home going, which is uh, amazing how she does all that. I can't imagine your dinner conversations. Can you imagine, Case? You got a physicist and a cultural guru and they're coming together. I mean, do you guys, what do you talk about? Survivor? No. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, do you have normal conversations or are they all at deep level? Like, did you ever consider the molecular structure of this bean that we're eating tonight? Uh, It's embarrassing how many of our conversations are more like that uh, than you might fear but actually you know sometimes it's just it's uh you know a lot of what you need to talk about about around the table is actually relationships right so it's the kids relationships at school it's Catherine's and my relationships at work it's really it's ultimately about people uh so yeah we do get geeky sometimes but we also talk a lot about people you know last night i got because of case thorpe and the collaborative in it that we went to last night i've never seen a speaker so adept at jumping from speaking to singing and leading gospel music worship. It was amazing. Uh, music is the first thing I did. Long before I ever thought about writing books or speaking, I, I, I was a musician. I grew up listening to my mom play, and then I apprenticed in a black church uh, during college and learned gospel. Uh, I'm, I'm white, uh, for those who can't see over the radio, and uh, and yet I was able to learn a little bit about the black gospel tradition, so that's what we did last night. It's it a lot of fun. It flows out of you. I mean, it was just, it was amazing. <laughs> I never expected to go to a worship service last night, but it was extraordinarily worshipful, and you were dealing with a subject that's it's a little, it's a little heady. We're, we're, we're talking about human flourishing. Your, your book just got out, just was released, strong and weak. 
and it's about human flourishing. And a lot of people, they've heard that term. It's fairly a new, it's like a new kind of term mm. we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But I really want to dig deep into it. I got the opportunity to read your book ahead of time, which I was so grateful to get it. But this is a concept that so many books have been written about, yet they're written at a doctoral level. And people are like, blah, 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 blah. I have no idea what you're really talking about. <laughs> yet this is the essence of what God created us to experience. Yeah. I mean, it was what he had in mind in the garden that yes. we so very, very well destroyed. Yet he has given us the ability to flourish. And, and Case, I just want to draw you into this for a second. You, you brought Andy to Orlando to talk about flourishing. Mm-hmm. Why is that concept so important that people understand it? Because you've, Andy, how many people, you've spoken in front of how many groups in the last several days? Oh, gosh. I, I have surely lost count. It's been amazing, though. I mean, amazing to be in the city, I so, have to say. Well, there, and there's so I mean, Orlando is an amazing time. People don't realize, people think Orlando, they think Mickeyville. Well, mm-hmm. Mickeyville is really not in Orlando. It's actually out past Kissimmee. But it is, Orlando is is a hubbub of cultural influence around the world. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. when people fly in, they fly in here from every corner of the planet. Yeah. Case, why did you think this message of understanding human flourishing needed to be heard around uh, in Orlando? Well, it's our conviction at the collaborative that we're all sensing this shift underneath us. If it's a shift in the way in which the church is effective or not, this shift in our politics, this shift in our economics, we, I, I think there is this anxiety underneath the surface. And therefore, I see the way the church can speak into hope, the way the gospel helps us be fully human in the way God designed it, that, that those topics need to be fleshed out and spoken to. And he does that very well. Andy, when we, when I met you last night for the first time, and I mentioned to you that I have this young man that I've been feeding my life into for the last several years, and he, and he goes, that is so cool, you're going to have Andy Crouch on He's like the Malcolm Gladwell of Christian, of the Christian cultural <laughs> worldview. And when I said that, you laughed last night, and I'm like, but I, I have no idea who Malcolm Gladwell is, but I, was that a compliment or not? <laughs> I will certainly take it as a compliment. I don't know if it's correct, but Malcolm Gladwell is this amazing kind of interpreter of our world. He, he pays really close attention to what's going on in all kinds of different domains, and brings them together in really powerful uh, writing that he does. And I guess, I, I mean, I hope I can do some of the same thing uh, as, a, as a Christian and, and to some extent for the Christian community is just pay attention to what's happening in the wider culture. And, and this is part of why I've picked up on this phrase, human flourishing. It, you know, the honest truth, uh, uh, what Christianity offers, uh, one way to say it is we offer forgiveness for sins and, and eternal life with God. But the truth is, if you go and walk down the street in Orlando and say to people, just walk up to random people and say, do you want forgiveness for your sins? That's an awkward conversation starter these days. And not everybody believes they have sin that needs to be forgiven. And even if you ask, do you want eternal life with God? People don't necessarily believe in that. But if you ask them, let's use Jesus' words, do you want life abundantly and life to the full? Mm. I think every person will meet Mm. around us, whether they're a Christian or not, whether they're interested in, in our gospel or not, they want that. And that's just another phrase for human flourishing. So we as Christians need to think about what do we really believe is life to the full and offer that to our neighbors. And of course, ultimately, that's going to involve coming to know the God who made us, um, because part of human flourishing is actually knowing the God who made you. So it all goes back to John ten ten, but not just the second half of the verse, because it's huh. super important to understand the first, because again, I grew up, I, I, I've, my parents had it created a drug problem in me. They drug me to church every Sunday. And <laughs> and, and so I, I've heard John 10, 10 tons of times. And then I went back and I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait, what about the first part of the verse? 
The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Destroy. And when you look at culture today, that is exactly what he has succeeded in doing. He has succeeded Mm -hmm. in polarizing. The enemy has succeeded in in stealing and killing and destroying people from the inside out by letting them explore this whole moral relativity, which just means, hey, we eliminate God. And as long as we don't recognize that there's a God, then there's no guilt. Because if I recognize there's a God, then there's a guilt for my sin, blah, 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 all that stuff. (laughs) But as long as there's no God, I can do anything I want and I'll be fine. And yet Mm -hmm. you see it destroying the fabrics of, of our society in every corner. Although, you know, I, I I don't disagree with what you're saying. I would just say it's kind of been that way from the beginning. In other words, from the moment that our first parents decided they wanted to <laughs> declare independence from God, uh, people call Genesis 3 the fall, but I'd rather call it the Declaration of Independence. That moment when human beings said, we want to live apart from God, that will mean we live apart from each other. We're going to be afraid of really trusting each other. And so in one way or another, Every era of history has had its own form of what we see around us now, which is what happens when you try to live life, life apart from God and live a life that's uh, kind of your own creation and your own under your own control. Let's, you know, it's going to be hard to do. We have to create the visual two by two chart, which you so love <laughs> the X and Y axis that we all learn in geometry. Uh, we need to create that chart for people so people can understand. Because yeah. I really want to have a conversation about human flourishing. Because again, like I said, in your book, Strong and Weak, which by the way, listeners, we'll be giving away a few copies of this after the bottom of the half hour. You're going to be able to get a copy of that. Let's draw this chart. Because sure. you you drew it on the board. It's in your book. But let's try to help people understand what human flourishing is really all about. So I think flourishing is about two things that need to go together. And you can put them on a chart if you put on the up and down axis, the Y axis as we call it. Let's call that authority. Authority is a crucial part of being a human being. That is having the capacity to actually do something that matters. We all want this. And at the best times in our lives, we've had a chance to do something that really mattered. Let's call that authority. We'll put that on the sort of up and down axis. And then on the horizontal axis, what we call the X axis, uh, going to left to right, there's something else that's essential to human flourishing. And I don't think we think about it as much as authority. And it's vulnerability. So vulnerability is to have something at risk in my life to actually uh, not just be safe, not just be protected, but actually be taking a risk that could produce something really good. And at the best times in human life, we both have authority and vulnerability at the same time. So when I draw this chart, you know, if you go up into the right, you're high in authority, you're high in vulnerability, you're up in that right corner of that chart. That's what I would call flourishing. It's when you really have something worth doing and it's asking you to risk something. So for me, uh, as a father, this is what parenthood is about. I have authority in my kids' lives, uh, sometimes more, sometimes less. Well, you have 16 year olds, you're youngest, you have very little authority right I'm now. Like at right now, you're pretty stupid. Yeah, yeah, but it'll come back. It'll come back. Yes, it does. But we all discover when you become a parent how much vulnerability there is in being a parent. And that's actually essential. That sense that, my goodness, when my daughter walk, walks out of the house, a little piece of my heart is going out the house with my daughter. That vulnerability equips me to love her, actually equips me to take risks for her. And those two things together, if, if, uh, if I had one without the other, especially authority without vulnerability, that's the upper left. I call that control. And that often we seek that in our relationships and our workplaces. We look for a way that we can have authority, but not have any risk. That's actually very dangerous. And you know, this is why teenagers rebel when their parents try to have control in their lives. Uh, the kid knows that's not actually good for them. Um, so my job as a parent, but also my job in every job I do is to try to have actually 
actually as much authority as possible and as much vulnerability as possible at the same time. Why is this, you know, this is a faith and work radio program. And, and so we're always talking about the fact that our workplace is our mission field. And in that mission field, you and me, we may be the only Jesus our coworkers and employees may ever meet. Yeah, for sure. So if that's the case, why is our, why is it an understanding of flourishing? Human flourishing is so important for us as we reach out to those people that we work alongside. Why is this understanding so important? Well, here's one way to think about it. I mean, I may have chances uh, for people to, to actually have a conversation about Jesus with my coworkers, and that's a great opportunity. But that's a very small amount of the workplace, and it, I, that's not my job. That's not the thing I'm there to do. What I'm there to do is actually be a human being alongside other human beings. And the most exemplary human being who ever lived, the most amazing human being who ever lived with Jesus, was Jesus Christ. And he lived with incredible authority and incredible vulnerability. He was always open to risk. He never wanted to just retreat to safety or play things safe. And, and so if I want to be Jesus in my workplace, yes, I can talk about him, but mostly I have to live the way he lived, which is actually to have a lot of capacity to act. That's authority and also take risks at the same time. And the beautiful thing about this is when you live that way, it actually gives other people the chance to flourish as well. When I try to live in that other corner that I call control, where I'm trying to not take risks, that actually shuts down other people um, and prevents other people from flourishing. But when I take risks alongside my coworkers, maybe we've got a really difficult job to do. We do it together. We take a risk together. That actually, every, at the end of that day, everybody feels like they did something worthwhile and they were part of a really important team. But it's with that kind of an attitude in a workplace, it, it almost creates a sucking force where people are like, I want to know. Andy yes. is sucking me in. I have no <laughs> idea what's going on in his life, but whatever he's got, I want to know more. He keeps talking about this Jesus, but is that why he's doing this vulnerability yeah, thing? Yeah. It, it creates a sucking force. Now, that's not <laughs> a, you know, you're a cultural guru <laughs> and your wife's a, a physicist. It's a sucking force. <laughs> well, we could talk about black holes, but it's not a black hole because it's a positive sucking yeah, force. Yeah, that's right. I think that's right. And I think that that when we experience that, uh, we feel like we're coming alive. And I think whenever that happens, people are being drawn closer to, to their maker because this is actually how God is too. God has all authority in the world, but God opened himself totally to risk in creating us human beings and giving, giving us this world to take care of, which is what our work is all about, taking good care of the world that God gave us. So uh, inevitably, if we live this way, I think people will start to ask, what's the source of that life? What's the, wh why does that make so much sense? What I love about uh, what I've written about in this book strong and weak. I write about it as a Christian and I use some Christian, you know, frameworks in the book, but it's really something every human being has experienced. We've had moments when we were really flourishing, but we've had moments when we we're really suffering. By the way, that's down and to the right on the chart. That's when you have vulnerability without authority. And uh, we've all lived this. And when we see it lived the right way, the healthy way, I think it, it uh, awakens in us a desire for God. Case Thorpe, it's because of you and the collaborative. We've got Andy Crouch on. I work for him today. Why don't you talk to the audience about the collaborative? Because this is something that really should be the collaborative is something we want to reproduce across the country. We hope to see that happen and see it happening in another way. It's not that we're going to make that happen, but we're convicted that in Orlando, we've got some cultural and economic renewal to do. And our best way of going about doing that 
is to help folks connect those dots between their faith and their work. So we've got a number of programs that attempt to do that on our website. We try to create our own content and curate others so that folks can read and see videos and get inspired and in these sorts of things, even in this medium. And um, we hope to get people in front of not just national thought leaders like Andy, but even like we had an event with Mayor Dyer, six questions that we put before him as the Christian community to say, you're an influencer. How can we learn from you and how can we be better Christians? It's a fantastic thing. What I love about the collaborative is that you've got so many different parts of the community and the culture working together. And that's what we need to have happen. And, yeah. and Christians should be leading that way. As Christ right. follows, we should be leading right. that collaborative right. effort in every community. Well, somebody said to me, Case, in 10 years, if the collaborative is still here, what do you hope to see? And I said, you know, I'd love to see... 10 Lift Orlando's. Lift Orlando is an attempt around the Citrus Bowl, now Camping World Stadium, to revitalize that neighborhood. That was a free plug, by the way. For Camping, Camping World Stadium. Yeah. yeah, well, <laughs> I'm waiting for the check. <laughs> That's why I said it was a free plug. Yeah, free plug. But there's a group of Christians who are trying to revitalize that neighborhood without gentrification to say to the residents, you should benefit from this asset. And so not that the collaborator is going to make this happen, but I hope we're able to touch lives of leaders that will go to their own neighborhoods, their own context, their own institutions and say, this flourishing can happen and should be led by Christians. Just for my audience to know, I have no idea what that word means either. Gentrification, what does that mean? Where a neighborhood uh, does get redone and remade and all beautified and yet... Nobody can afford it that originally lived there. Right. So you've okay. got wealthy moving in and the local neighbors get pushed out. Case, yeah, but can that be done without pushing them out? I can't thank you enough for allowing us to, to, to share Andy today and, and so thankful to the collaborative. Andy, when you look at the, the cultural rifts that have really in the last eight years exploded. Mm-hmm. Now, the media has done that exp- some of that explosion, but mm-hmm. when my interactions with other parts of our culture is that all they did in the last eight years bring to the surface things that have been boiling there for a very long time, but we just were yeah. unaware of. You had the privilege in college, like you said, to learn. Uh, you got to play piano in a black gospel church when you were in, in college last year and a half, I think you said, at Cornell, right? Yeah, that's right. Cornell, not the one in Iowa, the one in New York, the big one. Cornell. <laughs> did you know it was a Cornell in Iowa, too? Uh, yes, we hear about it. <laughs> like Corn? <laughs> and they hear Cornell. about us. That's right. And they're, they're, they're different universities. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I drove by that other one last week. So the one in Iowa. When you look at the opportunity the church has to bring about human flourishing and understanding what Jesus really meant when I came to so that you might have life and live it to the fullest. We need to understand your two-by-two chart, though, (laughs) where people need to understand what it means to live with authority, full authority, and full vulnerability, because we have so many people living in our society, which you put in your bottom right part of that that two-by-two chart, suffering. Yes. Where people live with total vulnerability but zero authority. Yeah. And that's what a lot of our community, certainly our black community, has lived with for a couple hundred years, maybe longer, probably yep. longer. And yet we all we've done as a government is, and a lot of churches is throw money at it. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, oddly, oddly, one of the most damaging thing you, things you can do when someone is living in that corner where they have all kinds of vulnerability but no authority is just to give them stuff, money or 
or even worse, kind of handouts of food or whatever, because that actually does not address the basic problem of being in that corner, which is I lack authority. I lack dignity. Uh, there's an amazing story uh, told by a guy in Atlanta who uh, is, was part of some really well-intentioned efforts to help communities that were very impoverished. And they were running these um, Christmas gift uh, programs where uh, – wealthy people out in the suburbs would buy Christmas gifts for families in the inner city. And he went on a, a visit to a house uh, to hand one of these uh, bas- baskets of Christmas gifts to a poor family. And as they got to the front door of the house, they saw the back door open and, and a man walk out and walk down the alley mm-hmm. behind the house. They asked the mother, who, who was that? She said, well, that's my husband. Well, why did he leave just when we arrived? She said, he's so ashamed that he can't afford to buy uh, presents for his children and that instead you are providing presents for his children. That, that act of charity actually had undermined his authority so much he couldn't bear it, had to leave the house. And in a way, we've done that at all kinds of scales. There have been government programs that have done this. There have been well-intentioned, honestly, Christian and church programs that have done it. But the question you always have to ask is, how do I increase the authority of people who currently don't have it? And we have a history of race in this country, honestly, where white people, um, often without even realizing it, got to live with a lot of safety and without a lot of vulnerability. But it was often at the expense of black Americans. Americans living with a great deal of vulnerability. So what has to happen is the the communities that have lived in suffering have to be given more authority. And those of us who have benefited and have uh, had a lot of uh, opportunities that we didn't have to risk for, we have to take more risks. And one of the best risks you can take, of course, is just, uh, just get into a relationship with people, get to hear their story, uh, hear how they see the world differently from you. And when you try to live that risk-free life, I think you often end up very fearful. And I think that's a big part of what's happened in our politics is there's just so much fear and it's because we so much want to live in control uh, and we feel like our control is slipping away. And I understand that feeling. And I think lots of different people feel that for different reasons. Uh, but the good news of the gospel is God is actually in control. We can actually take risks because God is good and because God actually calls us to take risks to mm. get to know neighbors. We would never know any other way. That's what Christians get to do. And we can dare to do it in a way that I don't think our neighbors who don't know God can dare to do. We're talking today with Andy Crouch. He just recently moved on from being the executive editor from Christianity Today and is now with the John Templeton Foundation. What was your new title? Senior Strategist for Communication. Yeah, I knew it was too deep deep for me to be able to repeat that. <laughs> senior that Strategist <laughs> for Communication. Right, so, but, yeah. You're a Senior Strategist of Communication. Uh, yeah, right here at I work for him. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I, I want to I wanna help people understand the safety sector. Uh-huh. The way you described it last night, and, and it just is so true, because we've got two millennials. We've got a we've got a generation Xer adopted daughter, and we've got two millennials. Yep. And our son was a video was a gamer. Oh yeah. Not as crazy. We also had a beach across the street, so we could get him out and, and to play <laughs> where he took some risks. But talk about the safety sector where you have no authority, but also no vulnerability. Right. So this is the last corner. The lower left, if people are keeping track of the little two by two, is this corner where you don't have, you, you aren't really trying to do anything and you aren't really at risk. You're very safe. And the actually the most uh, amazing way to do this is to play a video game because it will make you feel like you are doing something significant and you're taking lots of risks because that's how games work. There's like something at stake. There might be 
an opponent on the screen or, you know, you're playing against somebody maybe. And, but it's all simulated. You're actually in your parents' basement or you're, you know, kind of cocooned in your little virtual world. And you're not actually out in the real world taking those risks that, that are depicted on the screen, whether it's a sports game or, you know, being a Marine on, on invasion or something. It's just a way of simulating it. It's very powerful. It, it, it appeals to something we need uh, as human beings, which is we need to take authority. We need to take risk. But in fact, we're staying very safe. And I actually think this is a huge risk in our, in our whole society is when we, when we look at the outside world, we feel risk there. We're so tempted to retreat to, to places where we feel safe, whether that's our, our own little house, whether it's our own little community of people like us who uh, reinforce what we already trust and know. And, and that actually makes us less able to be part of the flourishing of the world. It's like the opposite of what we were made for, actually, safety. Well, and you rip into these neighborhoods. I loved your, your description of the neighborhood in Colorado, <laughs> where it was a gated neighborhood. And within the gated neighborhood, there was another gated neighborhood. Uh, actually, and even more, two gates. Yeah. What, what's funny is Martha's parents live in a gated neighborhood with another gated neighborhood inside. So I knew exactly what you're talking about. And But it is... Um, it's sad. You described the the emotional experience you had when you went to the clubhouse yeah. at the community that was within the double gated community. Yeah. Describe that for me. These well, are people that had ultimate safety. They they probably had all the money in the world. That's right. They had everything they ever said they wanted. You would think these would be the most alive people in the world because they, they've got everything we think we want. They've got a beautiful house. They've got money to pay for it. Uh, they have lots of leisure. They were there at lunch at a country club on a Tuesday or Wednesday, you know, whatever it was. And I looked around that room and what I saw at every table were people who are ha- hardly talking to each other. There was almost no emotion in their faces. They were, and I had this kind of overwhelming feeling. I was surrounded by ghosts, by people who weren't even fully human anymore. And this is like the, the real dark side of safety is it actually prevents you from living a full life. Mm. Uh, and, and the really scariest thing is you might, you might get lucky enough. You might win a lottery or you might do really well in business and you could actually afford that. And it would be the worst thing that could possibly happen to you is to not have anything worth doing with your life anymore. Well, and that's the American dream is a lie. <laughs> I mean, when you come right out that the American dream is a lie that you save up and you retire and you just live in pleasure. Oh, man. It's a lie. And it's really, again, one of those twists that Satan takes something good mm. and twists it totally. and destroys people you from the inside moving, out. Moving to St. Pete and playing golf through your retirement years is not the goal of life. Yeah, we're not going to go that deep into that. Really offend some of your listeners. But it is, but it is, but it is so Oh no, don't worry about it. My dad listens to the show. My dad retired almost 20 years ago. He's played golf three times a week. I'm like, dad, seriously, what are you going to tell the Lord when you, when you get to those gates? Hey, I play golf. Mm. Okay. Okay. But dad, I know he, but he also really invests in the people he plays golf with, but I still think he could have done amazing, even more amazing things. <laughs> but now I'm going to get in trouble for that comment later. But we love you, dad. That's right. I do love you, dad. That you're, you're great. Okay. So let's, Let's talk about this. Martha's going, oh, my goodness, well, you're in deep trouble now. When you look at the plague that prosperity has brought on people, yeah, yeah, yeah. because people think that they're going to retire with all their assets, they can just live a life of pleasure, and yet they've become extraordinarily dissatisfied within several months. Yes. We yes. have many listeners, we call them our I retire for him listeners who have said, yeah. no, mm. my second purpose, what, what my, yes. I, I, it's my second phase of life. What am I going to do? How do I live with intentionality with everything I've been gifted? How do I live with intentionality in the next step? And so that's that they've got the authority. They've got everything they want, yet they don't have any vulnerability right. and, they, and, and the life feels empty. Now, I disagree with you on your whole cruise comment because going on cruises, he, he go, Andy goes into the, that <laughs> cruising is the ultimate in safety. But 
but as long as you're doing it for four or five days, it's okay. That's right. It's a beautiful vacation. And I think it's true of the things we dream about doing in retirement too, because, you know, we do work so hard during our lives and we think, oh, if I could only have that vacation again, but have it for a really long time. The thing is vacation isn't actually great for a long time. It's what we need for a short time. And so, yeah, go on a cruise and enjoy that safety, that little corner. That's a totally appropriate thing to do for a short time. But then you have to ask, okay, now that I'm rested, now that I'm refreshed, with whatever energy I have left, with whatever resources are available to me, which isn't just money, it's relationships, it's skills, it's the willingness to be with people, how am I going to take a risk? And it doesn't matter whether you're getting paid for it or not. That's our assignment as human beings, is to find a way to exercise authority and vulnerability in the world. I want to know, what what can the church do? First of all, we've had many shows on iWorkFriend where we talk about Sunday is the most segregated day in our culture because Mm -hmm. we got black churches and white churches. And yes, there's lots of churches that are multicultural, but for the most part, we just celebrate Sunday very differently. And with less, you know, white people go to church for 45 minutes or an hour and black people enjoy church until they're just done. (laughs) Until they're done. Until they're done, which is, it's amazing. It's amazing. If you never, you got to find a friend in your opposite culture community and experience their worship experience. Andy Crouch is our guest today, and we're so grateful, Case, that you brought Andy in with us. You can find out more about Andy Crouch online at andy-crouch.com. And more about his book, Strong and Weak. Andy, we got five minutes left. Talk to me about what the church can do specifically to address this level of vulnerability which brings suffering. Well, here's what I think every church needs to do. It needs to give people hope because hope is what gives us the confidence to risk. So the most important thing that happens is we, we preach the gospel. We preach the good news that you are loved, known, saved, forgiven, sealed. Uh, uh, and uh, that gives us then the courage to do, I think the next thing the church can do is figure out who's vulnerable, who's most vulnerable in our community and how can we get to know them first as people and then increase their authority. And that's a little different from asking, how can we help them? That's a question that says we, we've got the authority. But the question is, how can we increase their authority? Um, so the wonderful thing about the church is it can call people together in a way that almost no other institution can. Like if I don't have kids in my school district and two years of my kids will be grown, now my school district really won't be able to reach out to me in any way. But the church could reach out to me. The church can reach out to anybody and say, we want to come alongside you, learn about what's missing in your community and help. Um, and then call our members to take risks. That's the basic thing. I think the church needs to give us the the knowledge of who we are in Christ, and then call us to take risks everywhere we go, workplace, community, school, and just our own neighborhoods. Well, and those risks are reach out to people that maybe are out of your comfort zone. Absolutely. Uh, Perci- yeah. That is the risk. <laughs> yeah, well, but it's, but it's not just, I'm, I just, yeah, it's being a friend, being vulnerable yeah. in a relationship. That's yeah. a big risk. And we have, we have created such a cultural divide in the church that that's just, that's something that's got to start. Jesus was so good at breaking down cultural barriers. I mean, he's talking to a Samaritan woman who'd been married five times, living with the sixth guy 2,000 years ago. <laughs> that was as radical as it could be. Exactly. All right. Yep. So I, I, we got a last question. You said in your book that the ultimate leader experiences full authority and full vulnerability, but he needs to experience the two sectors that have missing components. Explain that concept. Yeah. So, you know, to be a good leader is, is to realize the cost of ending up in the wrong corner of that two by two. That is, if you end up in the 
realm of control and you don't handle that in a vulnerable way, you will do a lot of damage. I mean, that's what a bad boss is. It's someone who's seeking control. You can never really have it, but you can sure try to get it and you can do a lot of violence, sometimes literal, but often kind of spiritual or emotional violence to people. And then the really good leader actually goes to the place none of us would want to go, which is the place of suffering. That's that place of vulnerability without authority because only when you've truly experienced that, two things happen, I think. One is you just develop compassion. It's you know what it is to be a human being is to be vulnerable and sometimes to suffer all of us have experienced that and good leaders have gone there they don't insulate themselves from it they actually go there and then a good leader also shows that you can even go there and in a sense rise again this is what jesus christ did he went to the most vulnerable place Death. and exactly where no authority and yet by the power of god he was raised up and if that happened for him that can happen for me and that means that that i don't have to fear uh, sacrificing anything, even my life, because God will hold it. And the best leaders know that, and they've lived that in some way. You, I mean, you just made me realize something. That's the power behind Undercover Boss. Oh, it mm. is. Because it is. That, that show brings me to tears every time at the end of the show, because uh, that leader has gone through a transformational experience because yep. he or she went to the bottom rungs yep. and suffered, but yep. became extremely they, vulnerable. Andy, how do you do it if you don't have a TV show? <laughs> well, Believe it or not, it can be done without the TV cameras running. Well, but, but, okay, that's a good question. That's what Casey's asking. How do you be vulnerable? If you're already a leader, how do you become vulnerable to your people? Well, I can tell you there is no workplace, there's no school, there's no home where there isn't suffering that hasn't yet been really faced, where there's something hard that has to be faced and the best leaders are willing to really face it and, uh, and, and suffer it themselves. And it could just be a history of people not keeping their promises. It could be, it could be worse. It could be a history of cover-ups or exploitation. It could be a bad boss who preceded you. If you happen to be the boss, but the guy before you was really unfair to people, people still bear the wounds of that. The great leaders actually sense that and they go there and they care for people in that. Um, and that's what it takes, I think, to really, really be great in the way Jesus was great is go to, to the hardest places because Jesus did that. Andy Crouch, thanks so much for being an eye work for him. Absolutely a pleasure. Thank you, It was a lot of fun. Case, thanks for arranging this. Mm -hmm. It was great. As we come to the end of another I Work For Him radio show, thanks so much for tuning in today. And and if you want to find out more about Andy Crouch, you need to be following him as he gets involved in this John Templeton Foundation as a strategic all of those titles that he had, the strategic (laughs) communications person. I should have written it down. Find out more about him online at at andy-crouch.com andy-crouch.com I'm sure he'll keep that updated if you want to get a copy of his book Strong and Weak if you really want to understand what the Lord intended for humans in flourishing that's a book you got to read Strong and Weak thanks for tuning in to I Work For Him today just recognize your workplace it's your mission field but ultimately I work for him